It's good to welcome you here this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us on this day. It's the Lord's Day. Read this article out of the uh, Washington Post this week. There was a 60-year-old man who uh, died shortly after participating in a brawl that broke out during a middle school basketball game back in Vermont. Russell Garreau of Auburn, Vermont, was said to have been brought to hospital in St. Albans City where he was pronounced dead. According to the police, his body will be brought to the office of the chief medical examiner to determine exactly what happened. Police described Garrar as a participant in a melee that unfolded Tuesday after attendees rushed the court during a 7th 8th grade basketball game. The police were called to the community center just before 7 to report a large fight involving multiple spectators. Officials with the schools involved shared their dismay over the incident and urged better behavior from community members. Jim Cassad was sharing with me back when he was a wrestling coach uh, that they had a similar incident over in Baker, Baker City. So it isn't new. The Maple Run Unified School District condemns the violence that occurred during the basketball game and said, we expect better from our communities. Fighting and violence are wholly inconsistent with the behaviors we encourage and support. We always seek to foster a positive learning environment in school and at school events for our students. This tragic events that preceded Mr. Garrar's death have caused our schools to evaluate school programs and community involvement. In other words, if you don't straighten up, you're going to be shut out. You're not going to be allowed to go watch your children and grandchildren participate in extracurricular activities because you cannot behave in an appropriate manner. Recently at a nine-year-old girls basketball game, I told some people behind me that we weren't going to yell at the refs. We're not going to do that. I guess when you're 67, you can do that. When you're 47, you get punched in the nose for it, but at 67, they kind of listened. It is shameful. And as a result of what took place there in Vermont, somebody is probably going to be facing some prison time, involuntary manslaughter. In the text before us today in 1 Corinthians, it does not appear as bad on the surface as, as this incident that took place in that gym in that game that broke out into a fight. But when you consider that this is taking place in a church and that there are unfold, unforeseen consequences, it's really no different at all. In fact, it's probably worse. Paul comes to this next section in his letter to the Corinthians and says, in my words, I can't hardly believe what I'm hearing. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. I shared this with you last week in comparison with the praise he had uh, for some of the things that were going on in Corinth. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. A basketball game that turns deadly. Here we have a communion service, a communion celebration 
that tr actually turns into a drunken party for some. Now, of course, Paul does not have anything positive to say about that kind of a meeting and gathering. Let's continue and see what is behind this. And incidentally, if you will look to your insert and then forget about it, because we have the wrong, somehow we printed last week's uh, insert on the back of your bulletin today, but there will be notes, they will be up here, they will be the right ones, so you'll just have to find some place to scratch, to scratch these new, uh, today's notes out, and I apologize for that. But in, picking up in verse 18, Paul continues by saying, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Now Paul is referring here to the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or what we would call communion here. And incidentally, we will, Lord willing, celebrate communion two weeks from today. You would think it might be appropriate in light that we are talking about that, that we would have communion today. But it also might be just as appropriate that we have a couple weeks to prepare ourselves for it. More specifically, what he was probably referring to here is the agape or the love feast. It was like a potluck, <clears throat> a potluck, a potluck type gathering that they would have communion at the end of that time. But obviously it was not being conducted in a very Christian manner. The poor people had nothing to contribute, maybe a piece of bread. And the wealthier members were eating high on the hog with no regard for their poorer brothers and sisters in the Lord. I appreciate your willingness here to share even our Sunday morning's breakfast with whoever shows up, even if they aren't a part of our fellowship. Last week, one of the what, what is our version of the homeless here, uh, came in, grabbed a plate, and got on his bike and headed out. I had tried to catch him, hoped he would stay and, and at least uh, eat in a warm place, uh, but I missed him. I know you show great respect for him and others in their situation when they come in, and I appreciate that. How in the world a church could think that uh, it was okay to behave in this manner is beyond me. What they were doing is not the Lord's table. It actually was a little better than a frat party. Paul is trying to get this young church, this young church planted in the heart of paganism to behave like the body of Christ. Verse 22, he says, if you're going to act in this manner, do it at home. If you're going to drink to excess, do it at home. If you're going to eat and not share with anybody and, and be engaged in gluttony, do it at home. But when you show up, when you show up as the body of Christ, you need to act appropriately, he says. And when you partake of communion, take it seriously. Because you're entering in one sense the holy of holies via the blood and the body of Christ. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer to Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, 
that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Communion is a celebration and a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Us entering into the Holy of Holies, into a direct and personal relationship with God. Because Jesus has opened the way. He is a he is curtain that was torn, that was opened, that we might go through. And therefore, we do not want to take this lightly. Because it is one of the most serious events in the history of the mankind. So in the remainder of our time today, <clears throat> as I said, ignore the bullet or the insert you have in the, on the back of your bulletin there. And we're going to talk instead about three truths to bear in mind when approaching the Holy of Holies, specifically by way of the communion table. And number one is that communion is not communion without union. Now, I know it probably sounds like maybe I was partaking of the communion juice when I came up with that little thing. And I don't know where it came from exactly, except in my mind, as we're thinking about communion, if we are not, if we are not, if we do not have union amongst us, then what we are celebrating is not communion. We are the body of Christ, united with him. We are all hooked together. We are all in this together. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you is that you love one another. And yet Paul is saying, look at how you treat each other, even at your gatherings, even at church. He says, there are divisions, mostly the haves and the have-nots, or the educated and those without as much formal education, or the political divide between the Republicans and the Democrats and the independents, or even the most obvious divide on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock is a racial divide. When we're, churches are more segregated than, when America is more segregated than any other time during the week. Stay away from the things that divide us. Nothing should divide us. Someone has said, someone was sharing with me that a church, uh, about a church that they, they know about, they listen to them on TV once, and they're known for their, or once in a while, they're known for their stance on uh, on, on abortion and being against gay rights. Another church is known for its statement on biblical sexuality or the gender issue. We here for years have been known as a church where kids love to bring their parents. In my remaining time with you, I would like us to also become known as the church that loves one another. Or where people would say, behold how they love one another. And that begins by Sharing what we have in common, not dividing. Communion is us sharing in common the body and the blood of Christ. We're sharing our resources with those less fortunate. Not divided. Not, not just staying with our own little family units or our own familiar friends, but reaching out. Not just limiting ourselves to those who share all the same political, social, and theological views. Divisions that are there, of course they are there, 
We're all in a different place in our lives. And Paul says, I suppose they need to be there. I, I suppose they need to come out. I think he says this in kind of a twofold way. It has to come out to show which of you here has God's approval. In other words, it has to come out so that maybe we can have some of these discussions and come to, to an agreement and, and eventually an understanding of, of the preferred way to provide an environment where truth can shine into darkness. But if we are so isolated, so separated that we never have that conversation, what good is our testimony? How will the community and the world know of our love? Communion means union. It means we put aside our preferences, our tastes, our differences in Christ. Number two, communion is not communion without Christ. Paul continues by saying, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In a couple of weeks when we get together and we pass the communion plate and we each partake of the bread and the juice, we do that as a reminder that this is the Lord's body that was given for us. That bread and juice symbolize, among other things, that Christ paid for us with his body. We belong to him. Now we are his body. One of the songs we sang about talked about having the resurrection power in us. Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have that resurrection power. Communion is symbolic of taking that power in us. Taking the body of Christ in us. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Galatians 2 verse 20 Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Listen to that. Get that. I no longer live. I no longer live. It's now Christ living in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's now directing this body, directing the mind, directing the tongue, directing the eyes. And if he's not, if I'm fighting him on that, which it takes a process to get past that, and I still do, if we're fighting him on it, then that's where the conflict comes in. Christ is living in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he goes on to say, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we fail to recognize that, that, that this is God's body, that God is living in here, and we fail to recognize that when we take that bread and we take that cup, we are reminding ourselves of that truth. If we fail to recognize that, then we're just eating a wafer and drinking a little juice. This would be a good time to remember what Paul has already told us in Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians 6, 
19 and 20, and also in, in chapter 7. But I'll read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 as a way of reminder for you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Communion is a reminder. Taking the, the bread, taking the, the cup is a reminder that Christ is in us and that we belong to Christ. But communion is more than a symbol. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Now, he did not specifically say it was a symbol, although he was using physical objects to teach spiritual truth. He was teaching us about faith. But when he taught it directly over in uh, John chapter 6, verses 41 to 69, and I'm not going to read all of those verses for you at this time. But Jesus, I, I will read some, starting with verse 41. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And then the, those who were listening to him began to say, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus responded, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will be taught by God. Everybody who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. And then we'll go, let's go down to verse 53. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, they, the disciples, of course, those who were listening that day, they had a lot of trouble with this. And uh, in verse 60, on hearing it, many of, his, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then Jesus says, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And let, let's go ahead and skip down. Verse, uh, for Jesus had known from the beginning who would uh, betray him. Verse 63, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he turned to his others and said, You do not want to leave too, do you? Now, a lot of people at this point, and maybe a lot today are kind of going, what in the world is, is he talking about? Eating the, the flesh and drinking the blood. Maybe it's offensive to you as well. For most, it was probably too much to think about. After all, all they really wanted was for him to give them the bread of life. They wanted their lives to be a little better. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be cured. They wanted to be fed. But Jesus was asking for much more. He was asking for everything. And that was too much. He was asking for a commitment that they were not 
ready to give. And on top of that, when they turned to leave, and I find this interesting, Jesus did not try to stop them. He did not say, oh, you misunderstood me. I meant that symbolically. What he meant was, you're going to be so close to me, so intimate with me, that it is as if you are drinking my blood and eating my flesh. Ray Stedman says, this is what the bread symbolizes. That he is to be our power by which we obey the demands of God, the word of God, to love one another, to forgive one another, to be tender and merciful, kind and courteous to one another, to not return evil for evil, but to pray for those who persecute us and mistreat us and misuse us. His life in us enables us to be what God asks us to be. And then he goes on to say that the cup, the, the wine of the cup symbolizes the blood, which symbolizes the, the blood of the new covenant, the new arrangement for living that God has made, by which the old life is ended. That blood, that is what blood always means. Blood is the end of life. And the old man in which we were dependent upon ourselves, the old life in which we were dependent upon ourselves and lived, has come to an end. And we have a new way of living. Communion is drinking. Communion is the act of declaring that truth. Can you say that you no longer live? That the life that I live I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Number three, communion without Christ. Communion without Christ results in judgment. Now, if communion is just symbolic and just a reminder, then we're in trouble because we're in danger of judgment at that point. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 and 28. And if what Jesus said to the disciples was offensive, I know that this is too. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup, 1 Corinthians 11, 27, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. As a man, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now get this. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, a number of people at the, the, who were in the, at that church in Corinth at one time had died because of the way they handled communion. The way they handled this whole idea of us being a new creature. But if we judge ourselves, not if we judge somebody else, if I judge myself, I will not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. When we partake in an unworthy manner of communion, in other words, when we, we are not willing to look at our sins confess our sins and forsake our sin and we go ahead and take the bread not allowing him to transform us continuing to run our own life that's where we're in danger of judgment 
As I said, we do not like to hear this. And unfortunately, we don't want to believe it. We started with, I don't want to set aside the grace of God. We are not, we're not doing that here. We're not talking, this is not a salvation issue. We're talking about being disciplined as a child of God. And whoever eats and drinks the communion without recognizing and without examining and without judging ourselves, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And Paul says, as a result of that, many are weak. Many are sick. And a number have died. That's serious stuff. Because you did not get the Lord's table right. You did not examine yourself. And you were not willing to change. You were unwilling to forgive. Unwilling to use the body of Christ, this body that Christ has given us to serve others. Unwilling to be positive, to be an encourager. Unwilling to forsake sin in whatever form it is. Now some quick, a quick qualifier here. All illness, weakness, sickness, and death, all of them are not caused by this. Some are for testing purposes. For example, Job. But Paul said, a lot of you Corinthians have died because you didn't examine yourself. You didn't judge yourself. You did not recognize that you were taking the body of Christ And as a result of that, you've come under judgment. Once again, all sickness is not caused from sin. But all sickness is an opportunity to step back, to examine ourselves, to say, Lord, are you trying to teach me something? I was visiting with a, an individual this morning who was, we were both sharing, you know, as we're, as we're young and we're living our life, you know, we think we're doing the right thing, but we're, 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 we're really not following what the Lord, where he, is, where he is leading. And it takes a while to learn that. It takes a while of looking at some of the negative things that come into our life and say, okay, Lord, are you trying to teach me something? And if he is, by asking, he will let you know. If you're just going through a time of testing, then you may not, you, you, you may not hear anything specifically from him. But... If there's an unconfessed sin, or if there's sin in your life, or you're doing something that he doesn't want you to do, and sickness comes upon you, or death comes near you, these are opportunities to stop, and to listen, and to be sure that you're in step, and in tune with the Lord. And by not doing it, many of the Corinthians were sick, or weak, or even had died. So then he says in verse 33, so then when you come together, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. In fact, I was suggesting that in the earlier service. They come for breakfast and then they, and then they come to, then we have this sermon. So I was, uh, and I know that there's some who come late and there's, the bacon's always gone. You know, we cook seven pounds of it and, and it's gone. If you're there first, you can get a big pile of it. So maybe when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Think about the guy at the end of the line. Maybe we only eat one or two pieces of bacon and we eat a pound of it when we get home. Or however, however we have to do it. But when we come together, think about each other. Wait for each other. 
If somebody is hungry, he should eat at home. Not necessarily. We want to make it easy for you to come to Sunday school. We want to make it pleasant for you to come here. But we're not necessarily trying to uh, put a lot of feed in front of you. If any is hungry, he should eat at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Wait for each other. Consider the needs of each other. As we gather for communion, prepare for communion in two weeks. How can we be praying for each other? How can we use this body of Christ, the body that we're going to put in here, to serve and to help others? Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for the church at Corinth and the concerns that they had and the, the, the way that they, they messed up some things. Lord, help us to learn from them. Help us to judge ourselves. Not to just give ourselves a pass when maybe we're guilty of, of some of these very same things. We certainly are, are guilty many times. I certainly am, at least. I'm guilty many a times of forgetting that this is really your body. You're, this is your temple. You live here. All these decisions and choices I make are really better left in your hands. Father, help us to learn, each one of us, to take what we need from here today. Help each one of us, even right now, to judge ourselves. To judge ourselves. Where Am I going wrong? How would you want me to change, Lord? And then give us the courage and the will to be able to conform to your will. Thank you for this very timely and important message for us today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.